Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Brian Sloss, Director of Product Management at Homelight, former founder of Disclosures.io, and a kelp pasta chef. We talked about how coaching has influenced his career, his evolution from product manager to founder, and what it's like when your company is acquired. Good afternoon, Brian, and thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Excited to be here, Aaron. We have known each other for quite some time and have gotten to work together in a few different capacities, starting when you were a PM over at Opower and then your transition into running your own company. And then as that company then got bought by another company. So why don't you take us back to the time in which uh, you were working at Opower? Yeah, it's, it's been a good run. When, when I was working at Opower, I was really, I was a first time product manager and Working with you, I, I learned a lot of the foundational skills, not only that I used as a product manager, but eventually I started my own company, uh, Disclosures.io, and that company, as you mentioned, was acquired, and now I'm working at, at Homelight, who acquired that company, and I just look back on our, our time together, and so much of those skills really stack up and, and work together that it was, um, it was kind of instrumental in, in everything that I've done since then. Well, it was my pleasure to get to work with you all those all those years. And you know, what was it about coaching that that really worked for you? Do you think? You know, I, I think unless you have, sometimes you're gonna have a really great mentor, and in that case, you're gonna pick up what they do in all these different situations. Um, but in if you don't have that, having someone that can really give you playbooks and feedback in a way that helps you understand what is your, your style of communicating, what's your style of getting people to work together. That is such a valuable skill. And you know that was really the thing that I think about of our time working together that I, that I took away from that. And, and what was it about Opower as a company that you were originally drawn to? Oh man, Opower, such a cool company. You know, I, before I joined Opower, I was following them and I thought what they were doing was so cool, which was helping utilities and utility customers like all of us in this country to save energy on their utility bill. And all I knew was that I wanted to work there. And I had essentially zero product manager experience. And I just doggedly emailed them, called them, knocked on their door a million times. And I think I just tired them out. And eventually they're like, he, he can do something. And so for me, Opower is really kind of where I learned a lot of my product management skills, how to work in a tech company, what a fast paced growth company looks like. And from there, I really admired the founders of, of Opower. They ran such a cool company. And I really thought the impact they were having was amazing. And I think naively, it looked easy to me. They you know, like all experts, they make what they do look easy. And that inspired me to go start my own company, which was Disclosures.io. And when I left Opower to do that, 
I took a lot of those foundational skills that I learned working with you day in, day out, and applied that to starting a company from, from zero and growing it to a place where it was really successful and then selling it to another company. And, and we'll get into what your company disclosures I was all about, but before we do, so you basically beat down the door of Bopower, were inspired to work with them based off their mission and their values, had no PM experience. And when you walked in and were hired, were you hired as a, as a PM or did they have you start at some other position? Actually, was, I was hired as an associate PM, and it's not totally fair to say I didn't have experience. My, I mean, may, maybe this is helpful. My first job really out of college, I was working at a company that helped other companies figure out what their environmental impact was. And so I had this big spreadsheet, and I just calculate how many miles all their employees drove and all, all these things like that. And I just happened to sit next to the developer for the website, and we got to talking, and he looked at my big spreadsheet, and we decided to turn that spreadsheet into a software application. I didn't really have any experience in this, but I was really helping to him to translate all the rules and the business logic into software. And I didn't know that product management was a thing at the time, but that's what it was. And we turned this little spreadsheet into an application that actually became a business. And from there, I was super passionate about the environment and making a, a positive impact. And I was watching Opower and I wanted to do what I was doing at this other company at Opower. So I had a little bit of product management experience just in a pretty informal way. Got it. And, and obviously you, you care about making a change. You care about, uh, you're not afraid. It sounds like to jump right in and, and try something new and then, and then stick with it. Because I know, you know, through the course of us working together in that first round, I mean, we must've worked together for at least a year. Is that right? Uh, yeah, at least. Okay. So maybe more. And, you know, I remember vividly just, you know, how much you, you took to the coaching process and, you know, really showed up as a, as a client that, you know, was reflective and willing to give stuff a shot. And, you know, you always came to sessions with, with what you tried, what worked, what didn't, um, you know, you always had, you really did the work of coaching. And, and that's also, I think why it worked for you. I, and I think that that's an important thing for people to know is that that coaching can be amazing, but, but the person in your shoes really has to be, really has to be game for the process. Totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy getting feedback, but feedback's such a gift. And if you can, if you can take that and turn that into growth, that's about as good as it gets. Fantastic. And, um, and so you became a PM at Opower and then was that the final role you had before you jumped ship or did you move up, uh, you know, up the ranks there at all? You know, I was a, a PM and I worked on a whole bunch of different things and got exposed to different types of products and teams. And for me, that was so foundational because I got to work with sales and I got to work with engineering and design. And I really saw how all the different parts of a business fit together and what, what greatness looks like there, just running at a really high level. And I was able to take a lot of that, that model of things that really worked well there and apply them to the company that I started. And what, what gave you the gumption or the guts to make that jump? Because it's something that a lot of people talk about. They say they want to do it or they're going to do it. And, you know, you were, how old were you when you, when you made the leap? 
I was mid to late twenties. I think it was around 27. Okay. And um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. My, I grew up, both my parents had their own small business. So my whole life growing up, they both ran their own company or their own business. And that just seemed normal to me. And over the, you know, over the years, I've, I've learned that that's not what every parent does. And I think, you, you know, you take in a lot from your parents. If your parents work in companies, that seems normal. And so from the, from the get-go, I just always saw my parents hustling, you know, on weekends they were doing work. And that just really clicked for me. And so I, I think one, just kind of my like fear of jumping in was a little bit lower than it would have been otherwise. Um, two, you know, at Opower, both the founders were really inspirational and set a really good model. And that was motivating and inspiring for me. And then three, I just didn't know. You know I just didn't know how hard it's going to be and uh, what it was going to be like. I think if people, if a lot of people did know just how challenging it can be uh, starting a company, it would probably dissuade people. But that's what's great about taking the leap. You're not sure what's on the other side. And you know, you just, you just deal with whatever comes at you. You are a delusional optimist, just like a lot of us. Yeah. And um, what was it about the founders of Opower that you found so inspiring? I mean, one, they were totally mission oriented. They, you know, uh, Dan and Alex, they both were totally motivated by the mission to reduce our energy footprint as a country as, a, as in the world. Uh, so like, they were, they were totally in it. But the other thing was they had a desire for greatness within all the aspects and groups within the company. And I love that. I actually remember them reading chapters from Peter Drucker's business book to the whole company. And like, that's such a, it's just such a thing like to care that much about exactly how we're running our business and uh, I thought that was really cool. So that that was pretty motivating. I did not know about the O Power story time. Yeah. So so you make the well you you're you're at O Power, you know, feeling like it's a it's a company you align with, you you dig the leaders, you love the mission. What transpired so that you decided, okay, I, now is the time to go start this thing. How did you, I, I understand that, you know, you positive family influence and a little bit of delusional optimism, but was there anything else that came into the mix that said, okay, now's the time to, to make this leap? Yeah. I mean, so my mom was a real estate agent and I grew up just watching her do her job. And I remember it was a few years prior to starting the company, but we went and flew out to visit my grandma in Kentucky. And my mom had a deal going on while we were on this trip. And she needed to get a bunch of documents signed and coordinate a bunch of things. And there just wasn't a way at the time to do this online. She had to physically be there to close this deal out. And the deal ended up falling through. And obviously my mom was really upset. And you know, at this point I had been a PM and working in software and it just blew my mind that you could not do this remote. It seemed crazy. And I, I really felt for, for my mom. And so at that point I started to think there really is something here that, you know, real estate is such an important part of society. And the fact that you have to physically be there to do it seems unreasonable. And so at that point I started working actually with a buddy who was a real estate agent and we started throwing ideas around and 
uh, eventually we settled on a couple of things that seemed like pretty sharp pain points for real estate agents today. And it, it just felt right. I don't have anything else besides that, that, you know, this seemed like a, a really important problem to solve. And we started getting really good feedback around, oh yeah, I experienced that. I experienced that problem all the time. And I jumped in. So disclosures was born and, uh, how did it grow or, or how big did it grow before you guys eventually sold it up? <clears throat> yeah. So we, we grew it to a pretty substantial size before. So we started the company and we built a prototype and we, we just banged down doors. We went to every real estate agent that we knew, we showed it to them. And most of them for disclosures, managing it online is a pretty, pretty sharp pain point. So as soon as they saw it, it was pretty clear, yes, this would really help them. And at that point, we actually went to YC and YC was a really cool experience. Really took us from, this was this is a nice little piece of software that works to a real company with a team that is on a pretty big growth trajectory. And from there, we, we had about 50,000 agents using uh, disclosures.io every month and we met up with Homelight, which is another real estate tech company. And what was really cool was what we had built at the time was kind of the transaction management. It's all the software that helps a real estate transaction work. And that was the exact piece that Homelight needed. And so it was this really great fit. And, you know, a year, almost two years in now, it's been, it's been a super good experience. You know, acquisitions don't always go well. And, um, I'm, I'm really happy about this one. Yeah. I would like to hear a little bit about what it, what it's like to, to go back in house. I've coached a bunch of folks who were brought into companies, fast moving companies on acquisition. And yeah, many times it, it doesn't seem like it goes very well for them. And so how has that transition been for you outside of, you know, being the, the two companies were a good fit, but you know, you being the leader of disclosures and now what's your role at, at Homelight? Yeah. So I'm a director of product and I really lead the experience that agents and clients have with Homelight, which is, it's been great. We've really grown our team and, you know, I, I totally understand the perspective of people who get acquired and it doesn't go well because it is hard. You know, you go from being the founder of your company, you really, you call the shots, but you also have total responsibility for the decisions you're making and you kind of live or die by those decisions that can feel really empowering and it's awesome. And when you join another company, it's, you know, it's no longer your company and you really need to figure out the right way to work within that new dynamic. And it, you know, frankly, it's, it's a lot about letting go, which is a good thing to be able to do. And, um, you know, it just, a lot of it comes down to people. The, you know, the people that I work with at Homelight are awesome. We've built a really good relationship and um, I feel, I feel really good about one of the hardest things about the acquisition was making this decision for all of our employees. They, you know, they didn't weigh in on this. And the biggest thing that I was worried about was really, they're going to have a new job with new coworkers. And I just don't know what that's going to be like for them. And thankfully everyone is super happy and that worked out really well, but that was probably the scariest thing because those employees trusted you to take you on this journey and this journey 
took a turn and it's in a new place and you really want them to be happy with where they ended up and everyone has been has been really delighted so far that's also awesome because i do know i've been with clients where they get acquired and and yeah the new parent company is whether it's not a company that they originally aligned with the values or the transition process has not been smooth or the culture is so different it, it does sometimes create this big exodus and um you know, this, the piece you were talking about, you know, with this transition to, to founder and then that out of foundership, you know, a lot of what, what we hear sometimes is that, you know, founders are a unique breed and, and it's really hard for them not to be, to be anything other than a founder. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people, but, but, you know, you're speaking to this ability to, to buck that, that sort of stereotype. And so letting go was, was something that you had to do. And, and is that something that you naturally are pretty good at doing? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I really just think about, you know, as a founder, what's your job? It's to figure out what does success look like and drive the whole team in that direction. And you can really, you can apply that no matter what your role is or, or who you are. So maybe you're the founder of a company, but maybe you're a manager and you're figuring out what does success look like for your team and you drive your team in that direction. Maybe you're just an individual contributor. What does success look like for you? And you just plot out the map. How do I get there? And it's just about kind of changing the aperture and changing your the lens that you look through everything. But everyone can apply that same mindset no matter what they're doing. It's it's very much what we talk about in coaching. Uh, you know, as the coach, I'm always asking you know, the person in your shoes at the start of the session, you know, what would success look like? What would you like to accomplish? And I think if that, if that question can be answered from the person inside and it's, and it's tied to their intrinsic, you know, behaviors and motivators, et cetera, then, then yeah, perhaps maybe it's easier to, to get away from yourself and, and look at what, what success looks like, not only for you, but for those around you and, and lead from that position. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, and do you think that, you know, the, the staff at Disclosures in their smooth transition, um, you know, obviously it was something you were concerned about, rightly so. What made that process mostly positive for them, do you think? I mean, I think it's a couple of things. One, you know, the, the type of person that joins really early at a startup, that's a specific type of person too. You know, they, they're taking a big risk and they're, they're in for an adventure and they know that. And so they were all pretty hardy to start. So that's, that's one thing, but another is just one, you know, I, I think no matter how good the acquisition process is, when you first get inside this new company or organism, you're just going to have to run around and figure out how everything works. And so you've got all these employees everything from, you know, how does HR work? Who does this? How does this part of the product work? You just got to do the work to go figure all that stuff out and get those answers for your team because your team needs this stuff to be successful. And so there's a lot of just running it down. Um, and, and then besides that, it, it's just, it was a good culture fit. So the people at Homelight are awesome and their culture was very similar to ours. So you can think of an acquisition kind of like, uh, getting an organ transplant and, you know, the host body needs to accept this new, this unit and that just comes down to compatibility. And so that, that really worked out well. Really awesome. And 
how big was Homelight when they acquired you guys? I think they're about 300 and, you know, we were about 15. So it was, that was the size ratio, but, you know, now Homelight's about 700. And so it's, uh, it's gone through a lot of growth in the, in the last year and a half since we were acquired. Got it. And I didn't realize, and, and maybe that's has something to do with it too, with, with two companies that are somewhat on the smaller side or yours yeah. on the very small side. Um, yeah. Makes sense. And, um, you know, and you may not be able to speak about this because I know that, you know, when companies are acquired and such, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind closed doors. So, so feel free to punt if this isn't okay to talk about, but um, you obviously were worried about your, your people. Um, and how much did they know that an acquisition was potentially coming down the pipe? You know, I don't think they knew that much. It's, you know, it's an, if you are the founder of a company and you're potentially doing an acquisition, it can just be really distracting for, for your employees because so it, you know, people, companies go sniffing around for potential acquisitions really frequently and you don't want to distract your team in case that doesn't come through, in case it doesn't end up working out in the end, because a lot of times it doesn't. And as a founder, one of your main responsibilities, as I, I mentioned earlier, is just figuring out what does success look like for your company and driving the team towards it. And so you want to keep them laser focused on that. And um, I want to, I want to pull us back to the relationship with your, with your mom. And uh, you know, I, I know you had uh, recently lost her and, uh, and I know she played a pretty pivotal role in your life. Um, you know, obviously she was a, uh, a real estate agent and some of the work obviously that you did, uh, you know, in your career was related to that, but if you're comfortable sharing a little bit about how else she impacted you and influenced you, it would be awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's been a journey, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, she was really the inspiration for the business that I started. And not only just because she was a, a real estate agent and I saw this, this clear pain point that, that she experienced directly, but she was just kind of my, my, my guide and mentor through so much of this. She ran her own business for my whole life. And when I started doing that, I would come to her, you know, dealing with some sort of problem. And she was just so level-headed and, you know, did it just didn't have ego with things. And if you're able to take your ego out of business, that is just, such an advantage because that's the downfall of so many things that happen in business. And so each step of the way, you know, I would just talk to my mom about what's going on. And she gave me such good advice that I carry with me today. And so, yeah, it was incredibly hard because she, she actually passed right after the acquisition. And that was just the hardest thing I've ever had to go through is carrying this company through an acquisition, caring for my mom, and especially just with the, you know, the super close relationship that I had with her and her relationship with, with this company. So it was, um, it was a really hard time and, and also a growth, growth moment. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, I'm sure she's looking down and uh, pretty darn proud of, of all that you've become. So um, that's amazing. And um, in terms of how you continue to grow as um, a guy who has broken a few barriers and a few boundaries 
what do you see as, as what's most exciting to you now? And, and, um, and where do you see you taking, you know, your career? You know, one of the things that I, I love business in general, because it is so dynamic, there's so many different aspects to it. It's kind of, if you're interested in it, there's no limit to what you can learn. And that's, that's one of the reasons I really love product management is you do get to interact with different aspects of business, of design, of engineering all the time. And so I'm totally focused on just going deeper. And I, I really enjoy that. I think the business that we're in at Homelight is super interesting. Real estate is uh, touches everybody, and it's a it's a really part of just our, our fabric as a as a society. And there's just no shortage of problems to solve there. And so for me, understanding how a problem works, what's causing it, and working with a group of really talented people to come up with a way to solve that is super meaningful to me. And I think as far as growth, if you can just apply that pattern over and over that's you know you can you can have fun for a really long time doing that yeah absolutely and on the flip side where do you struggle you know you've done some really amazing things and had success and you work hard through through challenges and you're not afraid to to take feedback and look at yourself honestly but uh, where do you see your your main pain points right now you know it is i think I mentioned, you know, Homelight's gone through a lot of growth and what our team is now bigger than it was when we were running our own company. And, you know, you hit these moments where everything seems like it's falling apart and it's because you've, you've added more people and all of a sudden the ways that you used to work don't work anymore. And that, you know, you can kind of plan for that, but it never really happens when you plan for it. And you find yourself in that situation and it's super frustrating, but it's part of a cycle that if you can just be aware of at each time that happens, you come up with a new structure for how does your team work together? How, what are the processes? How do we change now that we have, you know, another 20 people here? And, um, that's been pretty hard, frankly, and that's definitely an area that, I've, uh, I've really been trying to just be more cognizant of and aware of looking for those early signs before things really start to, to break apart, to try to jump on it. But that's a really interesting problem because again, each step along the way, it's a different thing that breaks and it breaks in a different way. Yeah, there's uh, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I hadn't thought about this before right now, but I was curious as a leader, how you coach your people. And, and the reason I was asking is because you obviously took to coaching, you know, really well, you've got that, that low self-orientation, that humility, that empathy, and, and, and also the, you know, so now you've, you've kind of been there, done that on a few, in a few different ways. So you've got some, some credibility and some time on the ground. Uh, Do you find yourself coaching your people? And if so, it, does it come as naturally as, as I would think it might? I mean, it, it, it's hard. And I, you know, I think the thing, there's a couple of things that I always offer up when, when coaching others is just one is people learn in different ways. Everyone has their own way of learning. And as a leader, you're going to have to, going back to what I said earlier, you're going to have to help them understand what does success look like? 
and helping them understand that may it just may need a different medium depending on who you're talking to and so communicating your vision your plans what you're working on in different ways is a really foundational skill to have as, as a leader yeah and i think you know, to your point, whether it's how people learn, how they process information, you know, the speed in which they do, um, the the ability to keep your ego out as a coach or to 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 be about the growth of of others is is such an important thing, and um, and I think, you know, you can do it by the book, but really, what where it lands is when you can do it with that artful connectivity, the genuineness, the authenticity that, that really makes it, um, there's, it feels differently to the other person when you're not just sort of teaching them, you know, the, the fundamentals. A hundred percent. I mean, I think it, it is about authenticity and I think it can be challenging if you're moving from, you know, being maybe an individual contributor to a manager, to a leader that you authentically need to want the people that you're working with to be on board, to genuinely understand where you're going and why, and as opposed to making them know. And it's it really just comes down to asking more questions and doing less of telling and more of helping people to arrive on their own where they need to be instead of pushing them into that position. And um, in terms of what you have going on outside of the world of work, right? We spent most of our conversation talking about all these successes and the learnings, et cetera. So what's Brian doing when he's not at work or talking to me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, there's a lot of fun stuff there. I, I'm still really passionate about uh, climate change, sustainability, and um, I've been messing around with some projects on the side. You know, I've actually been, this sounds really weird, but I've been making uh, pasta out of kelp, which is really cool because kelp sequesters carbon. And if there was some, some usage of kelp in mass quantities, you could actually take that carbon and, and sequester it long-term and maybe even create a way to drive the growth of more kelp. And so I've been doing weird stuff like making macaroni and cheese out of kelp, which is really cool. I do, I live in San Francisco. And so I do a lot of, um, long bike rides into into the North Bay and on Mount Tam and and really just enjoying city life. What is the what's the kelp mac and cheese taste like? You know, it's pretty hard to beat the box of mac and cheese you had growing up because this mac and cheese it's going to it's going to have a taste of the ocean. Some people really love that. You know, it's got it's pretty distinct. Um, but what's really cool nowadays is the mac and cheese you grew up with, with the packet of powdered cheese, you can actually get pretty cool, high quality cheese in powdered form today. That's all natural, really good cheese. And if you match that up with other high quality ingredients, including the kelp, you've got a really good meal there. And, you know, I think maybe it's going to take a little time to, to hit mass market or for everyone to be like, yeah, I'm having that instead of craft. But, um, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing to, to taste. And I won't make you give up your secrets, but, uh, what shape is the pasta? Ooh, that is actually.
actually found that the, I don't know what called it, the Sully sauce pretty well. Oh, hold on, hold on one second. I think we had another technical glitch. Um, yes, it's telling me my internet is unstable. Uh, there we go. Uh, so my apologies. Uh, I was asking you what, what shape the pasta was, and, and I don't know if I stumbled on a proprietary secret. Uh, no, not at all. The, you know, if you can get the, the curly ones with more surface area, it's the sauce just really grabs onto it. So that's the best. I really, I didn't think I was going to be talking about kelp pasta on this, but this is, this is great. Look, um, you know, you're a guest because you are a trailbreaker in a variety of uh, aspects of life. It isn't just your business world, my friend. Um, you may, you may be a, a budding, uh, you know, pasta maker uh, for the masses. There we go. Uh, so, so last question on this, uh, have you farmed out the pasta for, you know, taste tests and such, and, and what would people rate it at? Uh, it, it, let's just say it's still under development. I, I definitely had some, some taste tests. There was some feedback. I, I love nori. I love seaweed in general. So like the combination of seaweed and pasta to me is really awesome, but I think, uh, it's, it's got, it's got some ways to go. Fair enough. We'll have to wait till it gets on trend. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, um, pick your brain on anything, figure out what home lights up to how, how will they find you? That's a good question. I don't actually have a huge online presence, but I know this will be posted on LinkedIn because I see it there sometimes. So definitely reach out to me through LinkedIn and, um, maybe what I could do is put my email in to the, the show notes. That's it, it. Only if you're comfortable with it, folks can absolutely find you on LinkedIn and, and you don't need to disclose any more about you uh, than you're comfortable with. Um, but if you would like to do that, then yes, you can, uh, you can send it to me and I'll make sure that it's in the show notes. But um, look, Brian, it's, uh, it's amazing to watch kind of where you've come from, from the first day we met and um, really awesome to see all the all the things you've created. And um, thank you so much for taking some time to jump, join me on this show. And I hope that the, uh, the rest of the year goes really well for you. Yeah, likewise. I mean, it's just, you know, you're a trailblazer as well. And it's been super cool to see what you've built here. Well, uh, I am definitely a delusional optimist and, uh, it's been fun to, to start this trailbreaker podcast and, and just have an opportunity to highlight the, the amazing guests and clients that I get to work with and, um, and really let the world hear the stories that I'm lucky enough to hear in private that I cannot share. Um, but if you join, then, uh, then you can tell everybody everything. I love it. All right. Well, all the best, Brian. And thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Aaron. Take care. The Trailbreaker Podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Mori. More interviews and videos can be found at aaronfeinberg.com.